Okay, all right, jumping on Georgia, this is the last state that we'll be covering, the last major swing state that was under question of potential fraud that potentially went to Trump but went to Biden, the official results. And it was by far, it was the closest of all the swing states. It was the most contentious and for good reason, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah, less than 12,000 votes ended up separating the two candidates. In a state that has not gone blue since 1992, by the way. In Georgia, the scales were tipped like most of these states before Election Day even started. Now, again, just as a disclaimer, this does not mean this was itself voter fraud, but it set up it set the stage for potential voter fraud and also tipped things in favor of Democrats. Now, one thing that didn't involve legal action by the legislature or the courts was the demographic change in Georgia. Now, this is obvious. You know, we're we're not Google. You can Google the demographic change in Georgia yourself. Atlanta especially has received a major, major influx of black voters from other cities over the past two decades. And this is documented. You can go back and look at the population increase. Also, the suburbs of Atlanta have received massive amounts of immigration, particularly Hispanic immigration. And of course, newly naturalized citizens and second generation immigrant Americans, they always tend to vote Democratic. This goes back all the way back to the days of Tammany Hall. So that alone made it possible for someone like Biden or any Democrat to win the state of Georgia legitimately without any voter fraud. Another thing is, let's look at, uh, we need to consider is the change in election laws. Uh, Georgia has been under attack by the Democratic Party, the ACLU, the NAACP, mass, uh, multiple race-oriented uh, legal foundations and uh, legal funds over their attempt to try to turn the state blue. And one way they've done this is through uh, lawfare or legal warfare. Now, Georgia agreed to automatic registration, voter registration in 2016, which automatically registers everyone who gets a driver's license. And this led to a 2020 record of uh, 7.6 million people being registered. What this ended up doing is adding 300,000 to the rolls from 2016 to 2018 and then 600,000 to the rolls from 2018 to 2020 resulting in 7.6 million people being registered. Now, like a lot of other states, it altered its ballot integrity procedures, which made it harder to catch illegal ballots. In 2016, for instance, 6.4% of mail-in ballots were rejected. In 2020, 0.4% were rejected for a drop of six percentage points. That alone would have thrown the election easily to Donald Trump. In March, as part of a lawsuit settlement with Democrats, part of all this litigation that I mentioned, Georgia agreed to curing ballots within three business days of receiving a ballot. Now, this was not in most states. If they agree to cure ballots, they'll pass a law that says that poll workers are allowed to cure ballots, which is contact a voter if there's missing information and give them a chance to fix their ballots so their vote will be counted. In some states like Pennsylvania, the law wasn't clear and clerks did it anyway. In Georgia, this came not from their elected representatives in the in the House or the Senate. This came from a legal settlement that they made with Democrats. Now, an absentee ballot can only be rejected if it doesn't match any of the signatures on file. Used to, it had to match what is known as E-net. So any any official signature was, uh, whether you applied for a driver's license or anything, your signature was on file in a database. And when you send in a mail-in ballot, your signature had to match that signature on file. So now it doesn't have to do that. Now it only has to match the ballot application. So when you send in a mail-in ballot, 
the clerk checks your signature. If it matches the ballot application, your vote is counted. So obviously that makes it easy to vote for a family member. So if I want to commit voter fraud, all I've got to do is apply for a ballot in somebody else's name. My signature is on that ballot application. When the ballot arrives, I then sign the ballot. My signature is also on the ballot. The ballot application signature and the ballot signature match because they're both mine, even though I'm voting in somebody else's name. So again, this makes it very easy to commit mail-in voter fraud. What's more, an absentee ballot could only be rejected if A, it doesn't match any other signature on file, or B, a majority of the registrars, deputy registrars, or absentee ballot clerks reviewing the signature agree that the signature does not match any of the voter signatures on file in ENET or the absentee ballot application, which essentially makes it impossible to reject an absentee ballot. I mean, it would have to be wildly different signatures for a majority of the clerks to agree that, no, this does not match. All right, voter rolls. Voter rolls is another issue. Atlanta attorney Ray Smith issued written notice of an election challenge on behalf of two clients in Fulton County to the Georgia Secretary of State and the Fulton County Board of Registration and Elections. That challenge in which Smith first sent in July of 2020 and issued again on November 2nd alleged that there were as many as 15,000 people registered to vote in Fulton County who no longer lived there. Of those, some 1,246 were registered to vote outside of Georgia, and at least 24 of them as of November 2nd had already voted in Fulton County. Smith explained to the Federalist that he also had evidence in the form of written affidavits that these people no longer lived where Fulton County voter rolls said they did. Okay, so that's that, that was some of the things that the goalpost removed, some of the things made it easier for people to cheat if they wanted to cheat. Of course, this isn't evidence of actual cheating. This just shows that it made it that the laws and the settlements in court made it easier for people to cheat if they wanted to. Okay, so Election Day, Election Day in Georgia. Early on Election Day morning, around, six, uh, around 6.45 to 7 o'clock, there was a pipe that burst in the State Farm Arena in Atlanta. Oh, I remember this one. At State Farm Center uh, Arena was like the TCF Center in that it was a huge arena, huge. Uh, they, they would use convention centers, they would use stadiums that was a place where they could count all the mail-in ballots at one location. So this was different than normal elections because of COVID. In normal election, all the mail-in ballots, the absentee ballots, would be counted at the precincts. But because of all the massive mail-in votes, they just uh, they just organized them all in one central location. In Atlanta, it was the State Farm Arena. So this pipe burst um, occurred early in the morning. And later, it, no one found out about this until in the evening because they located they contacted the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and let them know that the pipe burst. And because of the pipe burst, it's going to end up delaying the vote count for a couple of hours. And they said two to four hours is how long it's going to take for us to final, finally finalize the votes. And we may not finish today. We may have to finish tomorrow or the day after. So people made a big deal about this. It was, it was actually brought up in one of the lawsuits that the Trump campaign brought. And it was also testified by one of his lawyers before the Georgia, either the Georgia House or Georgia Senate. We're going to get to that later on in our, in our deep dive. But they, they made they kind of suggested there was the suggestion made that maybe there wasn't a pipe that burst and the lawyer for the Trump campaign said that there was a toilet that had overflowed and they have pictures of the overflowed toilet and that they claimed that the overflowed toilet was a pipe and that it was used as an excuse to delay the uh, the ballot tabulation. So there were there were there was a lot of speculation that this was an organized somehow organized fraud. So there was a FOIA request. To uh, to Atlanta to um, to cop not cop County Fulton County it was a request a FOIA request to Fulton County to produce anything any kind of written um, evidence of this pipe bust 
And the only thing that was produced was one solitary text message. And I'm pulling up the text message now. It was a text. It was actually a text chain. It's posted on Twitter. We'll include a link to this in the show notes. And the tweet is posted by John Basham, at John Basham. Uh, last name is spelled B-A-S-H-A-M. And this uh, tweet, was, this was tweeted November 12th, 2020 at 5.13 p.m. So this was the only thing that the FOIA request produced. Uh, from the person who sent the message, he said, uh, this person said, I just heard a water pipe burst at SFA, that's State Farm Arena, that will cause vote count delay. Has this affected the AFCRA office? I think they were counting votes next door. This was sent at 7.42 p.m. on November 3rd. Jeffrey Stiles responded, quote, no, sir, it was highly exaggerated. It was a slow leak that caused about an hour and a half delay. Okay, thanks, came the reply. Jeffrey Stiles replied, we contained it quickly. It did not spread. We just wanted to protect the equipment. Thanks, the person required uh, replied. So that was the only um, that was the only document that was produced out of this uh, that explained what happened. And a lot of people were saying, well, why wasn't there a, any kind of invoice to fix the pipe? Because if you had a plumber come in and fix the pipe, you would have an invoice. But according to that text chain and according to another, um, well, not to, according to the text chain, but according to a different article that we'll also link in the description, they had State Farm Arena take care of it. So apparently State Farm Arena had one of their employees most likely on their payroll to come take care of it, in which case there would be no invoice. My opinion after looking at this, look at the articles written about this, is that this was blown way out of proportion. There was the, whatever toilet overflowed had nothing to do with this that the Trump campaign cited. This was completely separate. That maybe there was a toilet that overflowed later in the day and somebody took a picture of it and just confused the incidences. But this occurred about 6.45 or 7 in the morning. It delayed ballot counting about an hour and a half to two hours. Video surveillance that we're going to talk about also whenever we get to the Ruby Freeman episode. Video surveillance shows that poll workers started bringing in tables and setting up about 8.30 a.m. So they were allegedly going to start maybe 7 a.m. The pipe burst. They got it fixed by an employee on staff, and then they started at 8.30 a.m. Nothing. And that, that didn't cause the delay in votes. In fact, they later said that that wasn't the reason why they delayed the vote. The vote counting, it was just the, the overwhelming or the quote-unquote sheer volume of ballots that um, prevented them from finishing on the day of the election. Meanwhile, about 37 miles south of Atlanta, all 18 precincts in Spalding County, Georgia, remained open for an extra two hours after the county reported a countywide technical issue election day morning. Official, uh, official. I'm just mentioning these things because these were technical issues. These were small technicalities. They may or may not have had something to do with voter fraud. You know, we're just presenting the evidence. You can make the decision. Officials in Fulton County stopped counting mail ballots at 10:30 p.m. on election day. Georgia Republican Party Chairman David Schaefer said in, on Twitter a few days later, quote, Fulton County election officials told the media and our observers that they were shutting down the tabulation center at State Farm Arena at 10.30 p.m. on election night, only to continue counting ballots in secret until 1 a.m. No one disputes that Fulton County elections officials falsely announced that the counting of ballots would stop at 10.30 p.m. No one disputes that Fulton County elected officials unlawfully resumed the counting of ballots after our observers left the center, end quote. Voting machines crashed in Georgia's Spalding and Morgan counties election day morning election morning because of what election officials described as a glitch. A Georgia election officials said that a technical glitch that halted voting in the two counties was caused by a vendor uploading an update to their election machines the night before the election, according to a report by Politico. Quote, 
that is something that they don't ever do. I've never seen them update anything the day before the election, said uh, Marsha Ridley, election supervisor at Spalding County Board of Election. Ridley said that it was the vendor's 11th hour update to the equipment, but log files for the devices, electronic poll books that poll workers use to sign in voters at precincts show that no such update occurred to the devices the night before Election Day. Ridley uh, told Politico uh, that she stands by her previous statements um, the week previously, the week the prior week, that a representative for the election technology vendor Dominion Voting Machines told her office that it had uploaded some kind of update the night before the election and that this had created the glitch. State election officials and Dominion acknowledged that there was a problem with the poll books, but were adamant that no such last-minute update occurred and that no change was made to the poll books after October 31st. Dominion also denied that any of its representatives ever told Ridley's staff that someone from the company had made an update. In a statement, Ridley said that Dominion had assured her that, quote, no system can be updated remotely without the knowledge of the company. In other words, she claimed that, this, that Dominion told her that no one could update the machine without their knowledge. So she was ruling out the possibility that someone other than Dominion could have updated that machine, at least according to what Dominion had told her. But Ridley says that Dominion and the state have still not told her what did cause the problem. Ridley added that she did not know who uploaded the, con the, uh, the update who, or what the upload contained whenever the machines were updated, allegedly updated. Poll workers gave voters paper ballots until a workaround al um, allowed the use of voting machines to resume. And in response to the problem, Superior Court Judge Fletcher Sams extended voting hours. This was in Spalding County. The Georgia Republican Party and the Trump campaign filed suit Wednesday against the Chatham County Board of Elections after a party election observer reported a perceived mishandling of approximately 15 absentee ballots. The judge promptly dismissed it. On November 6th, early in the morning, Biden took the lead. On November 6th, a video spread of a poll worker removing something from an envelope, crumbling it up, and throwing it away. And you probably remember this. This was a video that went viral. There was this election worker who looked extremely agitated. He took something out of, uh, of an envelope. He crumbled it up and he threw it in the garbage. And people were saying, well, he saw that the person voted for Trump. He got mad and he crumbled it up and threw it in the garbage. This is what people are speculating. Well, elections registration chief Richard Barron claimed that at that station, the only action taken was the separation of the outer envelope from the inner envelope. That the actual ballot extraction happens at the next stage of the process and is only done by workers assigned to that duty. And so he was claiming that he was simply crumbling up and throwing away the ballot instructions. On November 6th at 8.45 p.m., computer malfunctions in Gwinnett County meant that everyone went home except the IT folks. There were 538 mail-in ballots left to count and 965 provisional ballots left to research and then process. On November 7th, Georgia Secretary of State announced that votes in Fulton County, home to, home, which is home to Atlanta, were being rescanned after officials discovered an issue. Fulton has, uh, quote, Fulton has discovered an issue involving reporting from their work on Friday. Uh, this was what Secretary of State Raffensperger said in a tweet. Officials are at a State Farm arena to rescan that work. I have a monitor and investigators on site. In a tweet by a People's Pundit, an account run by Richard Barris, a data journalist and director of Big Data Poll, he said, quote, there are 132,000 COA, that's change of address flags, in Fulton County alone, referring to a uh, change of address flags and voter rolls, which implies that those voters might have been ineligible to vote in that county. Then he cited two queries of a Georgia voter database and included screenshots of both searches. One of the queries Barris ran was for Fulton County voters, including people flagged in the records for change of address, and the other query excluded people flagged for change of address. So Barris's claim about potentially ineligible ballots 
is based on the number of unique individuals listed for in each query. The number is, which is 842,486 when including those with a change of address flag in the records and 710,454 when excluding those who have a change of address flag. So that's a difference of 132,032. So just, just to go back over, just in case we kind of got lost here. So, so he had, so Barris had two sets of data. One was 842,486 of voters, unique voters, including those who had change of address flags. Whenever you look at the list that doesn't have the change of address flags, there's 710,454. So that's how he got to his 132,032. On November 11th, Raffensperger announced a hand recount of the election. There was one confirmed case of a man who died in 2015 who voted. The Dade County Sheriff's Office investigated, but as of this date, no one has yet figured out what happened. On November 16th, during the recount, election officials in Georgia found some 2,600 uncounted ballots in Republican-leaning Floyd County. The votes were left uncounted because election workers didn't upload the votes from a memory card into a ballot scanning machine, according to the report. If there hadn't, of course, if there hadn't been the recount, then those votes would have never been found. The chief clerk was immediately fired over this. On November 19th, the Trump-appointed district judge tossed Lynn Wood's lawsuit. Lynn Wood alleged that election workers put masses of ballots in the wrong stacks and blocked Republican observers. There were uh, suspiciously pristine pre-printed ballots, thousands of voters registered at specific fraudulent addresses, 2,311 absentee or early votes were cast by people who were registered as having moved out of the state, 96,000 votes were illegally counted for Biden, absentee ballot signatures were not properly matched. Sidney Powell's lawsuit claimed that this is her Kraken lawsuit. She claimed that Dominion voting machines allowed for manual manipulation of vote tallies and alterations of settings to put ballots in a question pile where they can be deleted. Citing several sworn statements, Woodsuit argued that the stricter signature verification rules made it impossible to tell whether mail-in votes were cast fraudulently, prompting the need for a new recount to involve scrutinizing signatures on absentee ballot envelopes. He wanted the judge to order a new recount, one that would check signature on mail-in ballot envelopes. His lawsuit in Georgia featured 18 affidavits from witnesses alleging fraud. Susie Voiles, who said she served over two decades as a Fulton County poll manager, was one of them and the only witness who testified in court. She told USA Today that she felt compelled to expose what she saw during voting in the subsequent audit. Voiles said she observed a box of 800 suspicious ballots, mostly for Biden, during the hand audit on November 14th. The voting cards were pristine, she said, with no folds or bent edges. They were unusually uniform, in, um, she stated in her affidavit, which she believed was a sign that they were fraudulent. They were absolutely stark, quote, they were absolutely starkly different than the rest. Some of the filled in bubbles looked exactly the same on every ballot. She complained to a county and state officials and an attorney friend connected her with Wood so she could submit her concerns in court as a sworn statement. She said, quote, this allowed me to record something at a higher level rather than just complaining to my friends. It was time for me to step up. Lynn Wood appealed on November 26th, and of course his lawsuit was later dismissed. On November 20th, the state the state's recount limited audit ended with Biden's lead reduced to 12,284. And that's, of course, after they added the 2,600 votes for Trump that were found in a Trump-leaning county that were not, were not included in the original total. And this state recount, it also included a limited audit, as I mentioned. What they do is they randomly select that like say 15,000, 18,000 votes from randomly selected states. And they basically just audit just those votes to see if there were major aberrations in those votes, uh, which would, if there were, then that would lead them to do a statewide audit. And they didn't find anything in that limited audit. 
On November 22nd, Trump asked for a recount. And of course, it, because the results were within like within 0.2 percentage points, he was allowed a recount free of charge. During the recount, some votes for Trump were placed into piles for Biden, according to one witness. Some ballots from the no vote and the Jorgensen candidate trays were moved to the Biden tray, according to another. Another recount monitor flagged a 9,626 vote error in the hand recount in DeKalb County. And this was according to the chairman of the Georgia Republican Party in a declaration he made. He also claimed that one witness said official counters signed off on a miscounted batch. On November 23rd, Kemp certified the results. Okay, so now we'll look at what happened from certification through January 6th. There were four Republican state senators who called for a special session of the General Assembly to address the voting concerns before the January runoff. Because if you look at a lot of these affidavits and what they were claiming, there are more serious allegations in Georgia than you saw in, say, Pennsylvania, other states, if you bar like the USPS allegations. Governor Brian Kemp, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, and House Speaker David Ralston, however, rejected these calls for a special session. And they said in a joint statement a couple of weeks earlier, right after the election, quote, any changes to Georgia's election laws made in a special session will not have any impact on an ongoing election and would only result in endless litigation. On November 26th, Sidney Powell filed a suit saying Governor Brian Kemp and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger rushed to buy new election software that played a big role in a scheme to illegally and fraudulently, uh, fraudulently manipulate the vote count to make certain the election of Joe Biden uh, would as president of the United States. And what her claim was is that they were essentially bribed by big donors to get the Dominion software installed in Georgia and that the people who installed the Dominion software already had it pre-programmed somehow into these Dominion machines to give the election to the Democrat. She said, quote, it's not just the data that comes out of the machines that is crucial to the fraud case that is so rampant across the country. It is the fact that an algorithm we believe was uploaded to the Dominion machines that weighted the votes for Mr. Biden over the votes for Mr. Trump at approximately 1.22 versus 0.78. And, uh, so, and she, that was crucial to her argument to the about the Dominion machine. So, all right, so I'm going to take a grab, uh, drink of water and we'll get back to it. It's been a long episode. Needless to say. And we do it all for you guys. I I. Yeah, we, point, don't, I, we don't get paid anything for this. This is we are doing this in search of the truth. And come to think of it now, I can't think of a broader, a more comprehensive look at voter fraud state by state in this kind of format. There's, of course, there's endless articles <laughs> and there's giant PDFs and data dumps. You know, one website we use is hereistheevidence.com, which is a good little aggregate, but you know, not enough people really compile this into a single session. Like this. I mean, of course, they tried at some of the news networks like, you know, Fox News and, and uh, Newsmax, but then they get sued by Dominion for billions of dollars and not allowed to talk about it anymore. So Yeah, because that's the thing. Like most most voters, they kind of had an opinion whether or not uh, there was fraud, whether there wasn't fraud, whether it was enough to overturn the election. I, of course, was of the opinion consistently that there was, but this is the first time that we've really sat down and really kind of fleshed it out. But the thing is, like people expect people to uh, they attack people oh you think donald trump won the election when clearly there was no fraud because msnbc and cnn washington post said there wasn't but the reality is it takes hours and hours of individual research to come to an accurate really an accurate opinion you, uh, because if you just i mean you, you can go off your gut instinct but without any data or research to back it up because there's just so much information that came out of all of these states ha more than half of this stuff i had never even heard of before we did this episode so, I mean, this is, I'm learning this stuff along with everybody else. So the claim that Sidney Powell was making about these machines is that it, the votes were weighted based on a, uh, on a decimal point. So 
when a Trump voter went and voted for Trump, his vote counted for 0.78 or 78% of one vote. When a person voted for Joe Biden, his vote counted for 1.22 votes. So one vote plus 22% of a vote. And that in the aggregate, whenever they voted, because the votes were already weighted in the machines to favor Biden, then there were there, it was weighted heavily enough to where it would throw the election to Joe Biden. <clears throat> okay, so the problem with this, with this theory, is a hand count makes that theory impossible. Because when you hand count the ballots, because they scanned the ballots into the machines, when you hand count all of these ballots, which they did throughout all of Georgia, whenever um, Trump asked for a recount, that would come out because let's say if you have 10 people vote, six vote for Trump, four vote for Biden. Okay, so the four votes for Trump, I'm going to pull that up on the calculator. That would give Trump 4.68 votes. Okay, so you take Biden's four votes and you multiply that by 1.22. Okay, so that would give Biden the lead. That would give Biden 4.88 so 4.88, I think what I say, 4.23 for Trump, uh, 4.68. So that would give Biden 4.88 to Trump's 4.68. And then she was claiming that they were just rounding it up to the nearest uh, decimal point. And of course, if you put, you, I'm just using a random sample of 10 votes. If you uh, extrapolate that into millions and millions of votes, then obviously it wouldn't be that close. But so the, the problem with that is whenever you, re, whenever you have a hand recount, then obviously there's going to be a huge difference between the machine count and the hand recount, and there just wasn't in Georgia. So I think it's I think we can safely discount Sidney Powell's Kraken theory. The Kraken simply didn't come through because that's the hand easy, recount in Georgia would have displayed that. But in, the thing is, in Pennsylvania, where there was no hand recount, you could say, okay, maybe, I don't know. Like You, you would have to say, honestly, say, I, I don't know. It's kind of outlandish. But we need a hand recount to show if that's true or not. In Georgia, they had a, re they had a hand recount. And you would have to believe that the people who did the hand recount were all – all thousands of these people were in on it. And they decided to somehow skew the results and throw away enough Trump ballots to make sure it matched the machine results. You mean to tell me that Sidney Powell and Lidwood aren't the exemplars of the truth? My <laughs> God. <laughs> Attorney and registered Florida Democrat Carlos Silva, who went to Georgia to observe the recount, said in, a, in one of the lawsuits that he observed, quote, widespread fraud in several precincts always benefiting Biden. At one precinct, a stack of absentee ballots had perfectly filled out black bubbles. And as poll workers went through the stack, he said he heard him call out Biden's name more than 500 times in a row, at, at, uh, which would be circumstantial evidence that, um, because it's not realistic. At a second precinct, he observed similarly filled in black bubbles for Biden on absentee ballots and poll workers moved him away from his observa observation position. He observed absentee ballots for Trump counted for Biden, says the required signature verification process was not being followed and thousands of the perfect bubble ballots for Biden were found with no state or local candidates selected. His claims were then, uh, of course, filed an affidavit and uh, put into the, the Powell lawsuit. On November 29th, the judge assigned to Powell's case issued an order blocking plans to wipe or reset voting machines used in three counties in the state so those voting machines could be inspected. An analysis of a Dominion voting machine showed 37 votes were moved from Trump to Biden in one small county, according to information presented at a state hearing. Pro-Trump attorneys claimed when extrapolated statewide, it would add up to 14,000 votes, while Biden won Georgia by 10,000 votes. On November 26th, the Amistad Project of the Thomas More Society also filed a lawsuit contending that more than 200,000 Georgia ballots were improperly counted or not counted in the 2020 election. 
The suit, citing expert opinion, alleged nearly 180,000 illegal votes were counted, including roughly 140,000 ballots cast by individuals who do not reside in the state of Georgia. It also alleged that nearly 44,000 legal Republican ballots were not counted in the final tally despite being submitted to the state. So that wraps up the month of November for the timeline in Georgia. On December 3rd, the Georgia Senate committees heard several allegations of fraud, including from Rudy Giuliani. The first of the two hearings was held in the morning by the Senate Government Oversight Committee and was meant to, quote, evaluate the election process to ensure the integrity of Georgia's voting process, end quote, according to a press release. The second hearing began at 1 p.m. by a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee, which took, quote, testimony of elections improprieties and evaluated the election process to ensure the integrity of Georgia's voting process. Part of these was from a video of someone clearing the room of all the observers, the election observers, especially the GOP ones, and then pulling out boxes and suitcases from underneath a table, a table with a cloth over it to cover what was underneath. If the boxes did actually contain ballots, as alleged, it would have been about 24,000 ballots, which, of course, is more than the margin by which Biden allegedly beat Trump. State and county officials, including investigators for the Secretary of State's office, said that the video clip making the rounds, it was CCTV footage from that polling center, show what is allegedly just the normal tabulation process. So it's perfectly normal to just wheel suitcases out from under tables. No monitors were told to leave, they say, but Republican monitors and members of the media left when some election employees called cutters wrapped up for the night. According to Georgia law, there are rules laid out for partisan poll watchers allowing them to be present and monitor aspects allowing them to be present and monitor aspects of the elections process but having monitors there is not required by law unfortunately unlike in most other states in fact democrats did not have monitors present at the time either only republicans did now in response to the the video of the suitcase this was the viral video this was a smoking gun that made all the rounds because it allegedly showed pretty clear fraud you know a suitcase being wheeled out from under a table that that's as basic as it gets their counter, allegedly, the state's investigator said that there wasn't a bin that had ballots in it under the table. This was from Francis Watson, who spoke to the publication Lead Stories. It was an empty bin, and the ballots from it were actually out on the table when the media were still there. The ballots were then placed back into the box when the media were still there and placed next to the table. So she claims that, like, the ballots were removed from the suitcase earlier in the day and then later were put back in the suitcase, and the suitcase was put on the ground next to the table. Yeah, she claims it wasn't put under the table. Compounding the confusion of this is the fact that other election workers started to pack up for the night, thinking that they were done. This is according to Gabriel Sterling, who is the chief operations officer, or COO, of the Georgia Secretary of State's office. He said this to the Associated Press in an interview. He says they put prepared ballots back in boxes and away under a table. So again, contradicting the previous testimony that was next to the table, but under a table to close out for the night. Members of the media and the Republican observers began to leave the building too. Then the supervisor on site received a call from Richard Barron, who is the Fulton County election chief, who oversees, of course, the county, Fulton County, which includes Atlanta. And again, in this case, Sterling is with the statewide Secretary of State's office. Barron instructed the team to continue scanning the ballots that had already been prepared. They, this, of course, led to them pulling the same boxes of ballots back out and resume scanning, and this is what's captured on video. After a short period uh, of roughly an hour, when observers were not present, an independent state election board monitor arrived to oversee the scanning at 11.52 p.m., according to Barron. A state investigator then arrived at 12.15 a.m., 15 minutes past midnight, and both individuals remained in the facility until the count concluded for the night. 
Georgia Republican Party Chairman David Schaefer compared Gabriel Sterling over his acceptance of Fulton County's explanation with the gullible Cindy Lou Who from Dr. Seuss's How the Cringe Stole Christmas. <laughs> All right, that's immediately pretty funny. So this was, of course, obviously this video went viral of what happened. This video was first exposed to the public during the hearing. This was the, was this the Senate. That's yeah, right. Senate this came out in the Senate hearing. Yeah, the Senate, the Georgia State Senate hearing, the Government Oversight Committee. The, the Trump campaign had their uh, one of their lawyers who presented this video evidence, and the video is still on YouTube, and we will, uh, of course, present the video in the, in the show notes page, the link to the video. But in the video, she was pointing out that uh, they discovered this whenever they – because all of their affidavits claimed that everyone was told to leave at 10.30 p.m., that they were told, we're shutting down for the night. It's time for you all to go home. We'll come back in the morning. So everyone left. All the observers left, and this was according to all the affidavits, and she said that we – they found out later that they were continuing to count votes. And so some of the poll watchers later came back after the workers had already left and they came back in there. They basically had to fight their way through security to let them back in. They got in there and everything was packed up and gone. And they were like, well, we thought they, we heard they were still counting ballots. And she, so she said, we asked for the CCTV footage to go back and find out what happened. And that's when she said they saw this lady who was later revealed to be uh, um, this it was Ruby Freeman was a mother and then her boss was her daughter. Uh, Shay was her daughter's name. Um, I'm pretty sure that's definitely not legal, but I digress. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't I don't know if it's legal now. You'd have to look at the statute. Sometimes some companies won't let family members work together. But this this her daughter, Shay, was the one who was on camera pulling this out from underneath the table. And then the lady with this with the Trump campaign, the lawyer, she said, then we saw what happens. They pull this out from under the table and then they start counting ballots. And there's no one present other than the poll workers. And of course, the Sterling later claimed that yes, there was uh, there was some guy who was like a what they call it, an external affairs representative was supposedly there. Whoever, whatever the hell that is, external affairs representative. In the video, the only people seen are the people who are counting ballots for like an hour. And so they said, uh, she said, this obviously is uh, if it's not improper, it's probably illegal. I mean, it's obviously improper, but probably illegal to have no observers present at all. And they're scanning ballots, and they do so unobserved. And she said, so we uh, we were wondering, when was this table put here? So they rewound the, the CCTV footage, and they saw that the lady, the Ruby Freeman's daughter, Shay, she was the one who put the table there in the morning. She set the table up. She was wearing different clothes, and so that in itself looked suspicious. They identified her by her blonde braids. She had blonde braids, and she put the table there in the morning, And but they said – the Trump lawyers campaign. Uh, the Trump uh, lawyer said we couldn't figure out when the box was put in there or the suitcase was put there, and she said that we were ad- able to identify it was about 8:30 a.m. when they were setting up that Ruby Freeman's daughter put the table there. Of course, at this time, no one knew their names. National file labor later identified who these people were, um, and she said this lady, the same lady, put the table there. But because we didn't have time to watch the full 14 hours of footage, we don't know when they put the suitcase there. So if you if you go back, Sterling did a segment on 60 Minutes where he presented the evidence to back up the Fulton County explanation and the Secretary of State Office's explanation, which is that Ruby Freeman and her daughter weren't doing anything illegal. They weren't doing anything improper. The explanation, of course, just to recap, is they were told at 10, around 10 o'clock that they were going to knock off for the night at 1030. So they started packing up all the ballots that they had taken out of these containers who were, that are official – Ballot containers. They started taking them all out and putting them on the tables. Um, they had taken them out and put them on the tables beforehand so they could count them. And so they took all the uncounted ballots off the tables, put them back into the containers. And in this instance, they sh- they shoved this container under the table to get it out of people's way so no one would trip and fall over it. 
Then they were informed because the Secretary of State's office, Raffensperger, was he was really pissed off that they were knocking off for the night. He was like, no, you need to go ahead and work through the night. We need to get this done as quickly as we can. So he gives them a call. He would give the guy um, Richard um, Barron. So he would. So he then called Richard Barron or someone from their office called Richard Barron and said, no, tell them to keep counting. So by the time they get the word they need to keep counting, all the observers have left. This lady pulls out the, the ballots back out. They set them out and they start scanning them. That's the official official line. Well, he showed um, to 60 Minutes, he showed the CCTV footage. Then that box was put there, like they said, at about 10 p.m. And it shows other workers, not Ruby Freeman's daughter, but other workers taking ballots, putting the ballots into the empty container and sliding the container with the ballots who have not been counted underneath the table. And then it shows, shows her later pulling it out from underneath. And in the in the hearing, in the Georgia Senate hearing, the Trump campaign lawyer said that they didn't know when the box was put underneath the table because they hadn't had time to review all of the footage. Presumably, if they had seen the footage and seen that the state's official story checked out, it would have probably prompted them to have a little bit of change of strategy. Now, National File ran a story claiming that Ruby Freeman was seen scanning multiple ballots twice. It says it, um, in their story, which we'll link in the description it shows uh, um, that there's video surveillance of her scanning multiple ballots twice. She had a stack, and then she grabbed another stack and did the same thing. And then she was looking around to see if anyone was watching her. That in itself, it, it, there's no video. Now, the video has been taken down from YouTube or wherever else it was posted or Twitter. So there's no video in the article. But that in itself, I'm skeptical of the that storyline because this was allegedly done after her daughter pulled out the ballots from underneath the table who would she be looking over her shoulder to see who's watching if they're the only ones in the room? So that in itself, it makes me a little skeptical. And also, according to the National File article, in which we'll link in the description, she had two sets of – she had two stacks that she scanned multiple times under her arm. Well, if she had stacks of ballots that she was scanning, she why would she need to hold a stack under her arm if she was just scanning the same ballot over and over again? Why not just take one ballot and scan it over and over again? especially if there's no one else in the room. There was another video that showed what seemed to show her giving a USB try, um, drive to her daughter, and her daughter seemingly, one article claimed that she hit, tried to hide the USB from the CCTV camera. Another one claimed that she passed it to, there was a black man who walked up, another worker. I watched the video multiple times. There doesn't appear to be any instance during that uh, short clip. It's like 25 seconds that shows her trying to hide whatever it was. I can't even make it out. Maybe it was a USB drive. Maybe it wasn't. And the black man who walks up is talking to her. He has his hands in his pockets the entire times, and the only time, and the only time he takes takes them out is to stretch and yawn. And then she walks out of the scene and with the USB or whatever it is in her hand, still in her right hand. Now, if that was a USB, I don't know what they're alleging that she was going to do with it. I don't. I've never worked in. Uh, I've never worked elections. I've never tabulated votes. I don't know, Eric. Do you have any idea what? she could have potentially been doing with that USB drive if that was a USB drive that she was trying to conceal. I mean, I, I last worked uh, at a polling place in the primary of 2016, the, the, the day of the primary in California, which was June, I believe. That was when uh, Bernie and Hillary were going out in California, and Trump was already pretty much the nominee by that point. Um, I don't know of any way, and again, this is very state by state. There are perhaps some ways that voting information could be stored digitally on a USB, but that would be, that kind of thing would definitely be under a lot of lock and key if it was a single USB that had like potentially thousands of votes on it. So that 
she would have to be like a really high ranking poll worker to have access even to that kind of technology in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. And so the the argument that was being made by the Trump campaign is that or that was suggested wasn't outright argued was that this was an elaborate plot that Ruby Freeman and her daughter somehow concocted that early in the morning, Ruby Freeman's daughter would bring in a table that had a tablecloth. And then later in the day, somehow they would slip fake ballots underneath the table and then they would tell everyone to go home. And all the poll observers would go home and then they would pull out these ballots and scan these fake ballots multiple times over and over again with no election observers present. Um, but Ruby Freeman's daughter was not the one that put the box underneath the table. As I mentioned, it was other workers who grabbed the ballots off the tables, put them in and slid them under like the secretary of state's office claimed. And the other stuff like the USB, the uh, supposed USB drive she was hiding, which I, I didn't see it, didn't even look like a USB drive. Uh, and also the argument that she was scanning one ballot multiple times with other ballots under her arm and then looking over her shoulder when nobody else was in the room. Those things to me on a personal, just on gut level, my BS monitor is just running off on that. I, those things just don't check out. And then they tried to grab other things. Like there was one thing where there was a Facebook video that she said, this is my daughter. She's over, she, she's, she's the boss here. I just do whatever she tells me. And there was another one when she took a Facebook video and said um, Biden won, like something like Biden won, 45 is gone. It was kind of a bunch of gibberish. Like the lady doesn't seem stable if you look at her social media postings. But they were saying, oh, she's – and she had a picture of her sitting there at a table. And they were saying, well, she's tr basically giving herself credit for Biden's win, which, I mean, if you believe that they were conspiring all, all along, I guess that would make sense. But personally, my, my opinion on all this is these are just two probably – very low educated individuals who are working this uh, who are working these polls. I don't think they would have the ability to come up with this elaborate scheme because they would have had to work with um, remind me the, uh, uh, Richard Barron. They would have had to work together with Richard Barron to somehow concoct this elaborate scheme to steal the election and have these poll workers leave and somehow with the USB drive, I guess these were fake votes they were going to try to submit during the counting. To me, I'm going to have to side with uh, with the Secretary of State's office on this particular um, case and say the smoking gun simply didn't produce any bullets. And it's uh, the, she's actually recently filed a lawsuit against the Gateway Pundit for defamation because she ended up having to move because they, uh, she was being harassed by people with bullhorns saying she was a traitor and everything and stolen the election. And because the Gateway Pundit was the one site in particular that was really pushing these claims against the Freemans in particular? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gateway Pundit had made some of the most outlandish claims. But – uh, yes, I don't know. So I, it's possible if they had had, and again, this goes back to timing, because it's really difficult to concoct a major. It's really difficult to lay out a case for voter fraud when you only have a month to do it. And the Trump campaign people didn't have time. They said to watch the full 14 hours to see when the box was put under there. Presumably, if they had seen it, they would have said, "Okay, we, we're going to have to pursue other leads because this just doesn't. This checks out with the Secretary of State's office." On December 4th, Brad Raffensperger enlisted the help of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to investigate over 250 different allegations of fraud. On the same day, a new lawsuit was filed by the Trump campaign and the Georgia Republican Party. It claimed that illegal votes from as many as 2,560 felons were cast, as well as 66,247 underage residents, 2,423 people who were not registered, 4,926 people who registered in another state after Georgia, more than 395 people who voted twice, 8,718 dead people, and 2,664 people who received absentee ballots outside of the deadline. Let me do some quick math on that.
which amounts to 87,933 total potential fraudulent votes there, which of course was way more than the margin by which Biden allegedly won. The lawsuit also alleged that there were observers being illegally blocked from polling stations. There was failure to properly match signatures and verify identity and eligibility with certain ballots. And that in Fulton County, all 900 military ballots allegedly went for Joe Biden. All 900, not a single one for Trump, which that, if true, that is very suspicious. Now, the explanation for the military ballots was that recount workers separated Biden and Trump overseas votes. And um, there was allegedly a, a different trove, a trove of um, 130 votes for Trump and zero for Biden. There's also an AP photo of a Georgia worker separating the ballots during the recount with a box that says Biden and a box that says Trump. I mean, that could be the explanation. Potentially, yeah. I just I do find it kind of weird the idea of separating ballots by candidate because that, to my knowledge, that's not how it's done. But you know, I digress. Again, different states, perhaps. On December seventh, the Kraken, uh, the long-awaited, highly touted Kraken, was not unleashed. It was slain. Man, Ju Judge Timothy Patton. God, this I had so much hope in the Kraken. I was waiting for the Kraken to come through. It just it never came through. At least this is a better story than Pirates of the Caribbean Five. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Anything is a better story than that one. <laughs> so Judge Timothy Batten of the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Georgia ruled that the suit by Sidney Powell was filed too late and sought, quote, perhaps the most extraordinary relief ever sought in any federal court in connection with an election. This I am unwilling to do, Batten said. On December 7th, the state recertified the results after the Trump requested recount ended and Biden's lead dropped from 12,670 to 11,779. So almost 1,000 votes. Yeah, so if you notice, the, whenever they did the first recount, Biden's vote dropped mm -hmm. significantly because at first it was like 14,000, close to 15,000. They found the 2,700 Trump votes that weren't counted the first time. They added those, plus there were other discrepancies. So it shows that the more they recount, the more instances of discrepancies and potential fraud they're finding and the closer this election is getting. I mean, maybe if they'd done five or six more recounts, it would eventually put Trump in the lead. <laughs> because potential, yeah, because every, I mean, every there's a consistent pattern there. So they're finding fraud, like they are actually finding fraud and mistakes and stuff that's that's significantly shrinking Biden's total margin of victory. Specifically, Fulton County's recount results showed 880 fewer votes than the results certified after election night, with an overwhelming majority of those votes coming from Biden's total in that county. Gabriel Sterling, who oversaw the implementation of the state's new voting system, called the discrepancy in the county quote a little worrisome. But he said it's a big county that just has managerial issues. So oh, okay. they just got issues. It's Fulton, it's Fulton County. Almost you know a thousand is. votes. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's 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 the you know how they are. They're, they're special over at Fulton County. They just have managerial issues. On December tenth, the House Governmental Affairs Committee had a hearing. Remember that we had the Senate. The Senate heard um, heard evidence, and that's how they how, that's how everyone found out about the alleged suitcases under the table. So on, t on December tenth, the House weighed in. And what's interesting is all these states are controlled by Republicans. You know, I mean, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, they all have Georgia. Uh, they all have Republican legislatures. So a lot of these, these issues could have been ironed out before the election. But anyway, the House Governmental Affairs Committee held a hearing. One witness was Matt Brainerd, who was paid $40,000 by the um, Amistad Project, who next to the Trump campaign probably filed more lawsuits than anybody else. But uh, they're affiliated with the conservative legal interest group, the Thomas More Society. He, uh, Brainerd was hired to analyze the data of election fraud, and he claimed to have uh, thousands of examples of specific votes that should not have been allowed to be cast. He claimed to have found examples of thousands of votes that should not have been cast. A quick search of the records by G uh, GPB News, a local news site in Georgia, found that registered, voter, uh, registered Georgia voters were included in spreadsheets provided as evidence in a case filed by President Trump and David Schaefer, who's the chair of the Republican Party. 
However, Democrat B. Nugent of Atlanta also said that she reviewed Brainerd's data and told the committee that many of the voters uh, were, were in fact active, that they, these were actual active voters. Plus, the alleged USPS box fraud wasn't real either. And that was another, and that was another issue. There was allegedly um, USPS fraud um, where someone misplaced a box of absentee ballots that allegedly went for Trump. In one case, a lot of voters simply lived in townhomes that have a mail center underneath it. So this was another discrepancy. You had a lot, and this was across multiple swing states. You would have a lot of voters whose voting address went back to a USPS mailbox, which is illegal. And she claimed, well, I dug into this, and a lot of these voters simply live in townhomes where there's a mail center underneath them. So that's why it appears that they live at a post office or they listed their home address as a USPS box. But she said in this case, and this it wasn't just a small number of voters. Like there were hundreds and hundreds of voters, like 800, 900 voters who lived in the one townhome complex that she mentioned. Uh, Brainerd seemed to accept her explanation for a lot of his data's discrepancies and basically said, yeah, this is obviously not – you know, the end result, this is just to kind of get the ball rolling. These are discrepancies that need to be looked into and investigated. We didn't really have time because of the short notice and because we've only been at this for a few weeks to investigate every single one of these discrepancies. On December 14th, Raffensperger announced a signature audit of Cobb County led by the GBI. On December 29th, that audit ultimately concluded that there were only two cases where ballots should have been thrown out, which amounted to a 99.99% accuracy rate. In addition to Brainerd's research, Brian Geals, a certified public accountant who owns a data analytics firm, made the claim that over 300,000 voters may have requested ballots before the legal date to do so. However, people who are disabled, 65 and older, serving in the military, or living over the seas can make a single request for absentee ballots for a primary general election and runoffs, yes, according so this to Georgia be, law. Yes, yeah, so this would be a case where someone, they went ahead and ordered their primary, they requested ballots, say in February, for the primary and the general election. And so it looks like it's voter fraud because they requested before the date that they're allowed to request. But that's that's just that's just part of, you know, if you want to request, if you live overseas, you can do both in one request. You don't have to request one separate for the primary, one separate for the general. Mm -hmm. A group called Voter GA, which is another group that did a lot of work out of Georgia, like right alongside the Trump campaign and the Amistad project. They sued Fulton County, Georgia, for access to information about faulty ballots. They ultimately found that at least 36 batches, totaling of around 4,000 votes, were double-counted. This is the stuff that Tucker Carlson talked about recently on his show. He did a monologue all about this. Mm. The double-counted votes produced 3,300 votes for Biden and just 865 for Trump. Yeah, if true, that is an obvious case of voter fraud by the poll workers. Because that is statistically impossible. Mm -hmm. This gives Biden more than enough votes to significantly overcome the final margin by which he very narrowly won. Because you take, again, you take those 3,000 votes away from Biden. That then reduces his margin of victory to, to what, about 8,000? Mm -hmm. And presumably you give them to Trump, that increases Trump's total and brings him even closer. So that brings it to about a 5,000 vote difference. Mm -hmm. On December 14th, the Center Square reported more than 1,700 Georgians were singled out for illegally casting two ballots in the 2020 elections. But their fraudulent votes allegedly weren't canceled out, according to state election officials. And none of these teachers... And none of these cheaters have been prosecuted. The majority of double voters were, imagine my shock, Democrats who cast an absentee ballot either by mail or Dropbox and also voted in person on Election Day. Officials said, according to a... Which and, that's a felony. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and this law, is a felony. felony. This is a felony under state law. The highest share of offenders were, again, imagine my shock, from Fulton County, which includes Atlanta, many of whom were allowed to cast a second ballot by poll workers, officials said. 
Hundreds of workers assigned to county poll sites were recruited and trained by the Democrat-run Georgia chapter of the ACLU and a minority-owned temporary temp agency and a minority-owned temp agency run by Democrat donors. It's also convenient. Surprise, surprise. Complaints from poll managers and poll watchers call the recruits poorly trained, especially on such short notice, and highly partisan. Before the presidential election, the state's ACLU chapter urged anyone, quote, threatened with prosecution over double voting allegations to contact them for legal assistance. Oh, you committed voter fraud? Just come to us and we'll help you out. <laughs> it's kind of like the, these firms that if you're if you're in threat of being deported for being illegal, call us for legal assistance. In fact, Fulton County allowed the ACLU to station lawyers at each of its 255 polling sites, replacing poll managers and overriding normal county procedures for catching absentee voters who show up at the polls. This new policy was allegedly designed to, quote, simplify the process. Records show the ACLU of Georgia is financially supported by Abrams, by Stacey Abrams group. You know, the, the woman who ran for governor and <laughs> failed but insisted that she still won. You know, again, the same person who insisted she won that election and that, that voter fraud stole the 2018 election turned around and insisted there was no voter fraud just two years later. And it's run by a woman named Andrea Young, a civil rights activist and lifelong Democrat who served as chief of staff to former representative Cynthia McKinney of Georgia. A former Planned Parenthood official. That's nice. Young urged voters to elect politicians who support abortion rights and lower sentences for black criminals, among other things. And <laughs> the other one was oh, the temp agency. Uh, this, this was this was kind of I didn't dig too deeply into this, but <laughs> this is another left wing radical BLM pro BLM organization. Happy Faces was the name of the temp agency used to recruit Fulton County workers who were described as rude and highly partisan. Although more than 1,000 confirmed voters voted twice during the primary, all Raffensperger did was warn against it. You know, don't do this again. No arrests were ever made. <laughs> it, what's funny is Raffensperger later claimed that his warnings caused there to be fewer cases of double voting than in the primary. So it's like shook his finger at, all right, kiddies, don't do this again. You're going to get a slap on the wrist if you do it. And then there's fewer than in the primary. It's like, see, it worked. A little slap on the wrist. Oh, my goodness. Just scold them. Just give them a little scolding. And instead of cheating on 5,000, they'll only cheat on 4,800. Republicans are great at writing strongly worded letters and little else. Yep, yep. Especially, uh, yeah, especially in places like Atlanta. So, yeah, so th these poll workers, this is one of the reasons, like, they're they're known as being poorly trained. They don't really know what they're doing. This is one of the reasons why I've, I've always been skeptical of there being some kind of elaborate cross-state, you know, scheme among people in Georgia, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Detroit, to all in Nevada, Arizona, to all get together and you know text each other and say, okay, here's how we're going to cheat. Here, here's how we're going to steal the election for Joe Biden. Because if they tried something like that, it would get caught. Because these poll workers have been on the job literally like from the day of the election. They were trained maybe. It's sort of like if you're fighting a war and you desperately need soldiers. It's like, okay, we're going to have you do 10 jumping jacks, 10 push-ups, 10 sit-ups. All right, you're ready. Get, and grab a gun and get out in the field. That's basically what you've got going on with these highly partisan, untrained, rude, many of them probably like 18, 19-year-old poll workers who uh, dropped out of high school. I don't think that you would have been able to get away with any kind of serious cross-state scheme to defraud the election because with you know, poll workers this untrained, if they found out about it, they would let it slip. Something, you know, they would they would be, they would get sloppy and let it slip and it would be discovered. So that's why with these cases of voter fraud, I find it as as very um uh what's the word? Atomized. I find it as very atomized and very local, like on the individual level. Like you've got a poll worker 
who believes that this is a referendum on whether or not his life as a black person matters. And so every chance he gets when he's not being viewed by a poll watcher, he's going to try to throw votes Biden's way, that type of thing. On December 23rd, the state sought to refute the Trump campaign's claims before the state Senate. So Trump's campaign had his day in court, so they figured now it's our turn to have our day in court. State officials said they were only investigating a total of 74 potential felons who may have cast ballots, not the 2056 that the Trump campaign claimed. The Trump campaign claimed that some 66,000 underage people voted during the 2020 general election. The state said the actual number of underage voters was zero. The Trump campaign complained that 30,000 people voted in Georgia and another state. Investigators have only found three such voters. The Trump campaign complained that 10,000 dead people voted during the general election. State officials said that they found a total of two. The Trump campaign also complained about absentee drop boxes where they insisted that alleged ballot harvesting took place by people illegally dropping off armloads of ballots. The state said video reviews found zero. Okay, so the aftermath, what happened after it was all said and done? Have there been any corrections? Well, obviously, there was the Joe, the new Georgia voter law, which did a lot to cure a lot of the problems that took place during this election. We're not going to go into that. We've covered it on past episodes. And uh, obviously, there's the big blow up over the MLB removing its all-star game. But of course, the Atlanta Braves took sweet retribution by winning the World Series. But the aftermath, so what happened afterwards? On February 17th, a report from... A nonpartisan monitor who observed Fulton County's recent elections found, quote, myriad problems with absentee ballot processing, but no evidence of fraud. He noted that there was a lack of chain of custody, a lack of organization, and a very little care for absentee ballots. He also didn't see any of this as intentional. He considered all of it as sloppiness and just general laziness and mismanagement. The monitor's name was Carter Jones. He was a consultant who had a background working in elections in foreign countries. He spent nearly 270 hours observing all parts of Fulton's election process as part of a consent order between the county and the state election board just before the November election. In March, the state election board referred 35 cases of fraud for prosecution. The new Georgia voting law did away with signature match and moved to strictly voter ID. So that will do a lot to cut down on this kind of sloppiness in the future. And, Absolutely. You know, do away with a lot of people who a lot of ballots that should not be counted. It's a very good start because this was the, this was the biggest issue in Georgia. And when you compare the ballots rejected four years ago to the ballots rejected in 2020, you know, you got a six percent increase. That's that's literally tens of thousands of ballots that should have been rejected. And of course, we'll see it put to the test in the 2022 elections next year for governor, senator, and of course, all the other races during that year to see if this law actually does what it's supposed to do and it prevents these fraudulent votes and hopefully secures a Republican victory next year. Assuming Republicans turn out to vote, because that's another thing, because that's of right. the lackluster effort by Brian Kemp and Raffensperger, a lot of Republicans, especially in these runoffs, they're just like, forget it. You know, exactly. Just well, let the Democrats th have that's it. That's why they're facing primary challenges, that our Raffensperger is being challenged by uh, Jody Heiss and mm -hmm. who has been, has been endorsed by Trump. And the governor's race right now, uh, for the time being, Kemp's only challenger is Vernon Jones, you know, the former Democratic representative, a black representative from Georgia who changed from Democrat to Republican because of Trump. Former Senator David Perdue is considering jumping into the race himself, and he would most likely have Trump's support. Trump hasn't endorsed either Kemp or Jones that he would jump in. And with Trump's support combined with the fact that the Purdue name is a really big name in Georgia, you know, his cousin Sonny Purdue was also governor of Georgia not mm -hmm. too long ago and most recently was the uh, labor secretary under the Trump administration. Well, one of the things that a lot of well, career politicians will always do, like we saw in Arizona, is whenever they're, they're facing a tough primary challenge, 
is they all of a sudden start getting really conservative. You know, yep. like the Arizona, it's the Secretary of State who... Um, Mark Brnovich. Mark Brnovich, yeah. Oh, so no, he, sorry, sorry. He's the Attorney General. Attorney General, yeah. So he really got after the... He, he really acted like he, he was going to get on the ball about checking into the potential fraud, the potential discrepancies, whereas before he was kind of lackluster. Well, on July 15th, Raffensperger said that Fulton County Election Director Richard Barron and Registration Director Ralph Jones needed to be fired and removed immediately from Fulton's elections leadership claiming that they were just simply incompetent in their jobs. Um, back in February, the Fulton County Board of Commissioners decided not to fire Barron, turned down a recommendation to fire him that came from the Fulton County Board of Elections. Um, so, yeah, so now he's going to get really tough on Fulton County and claim that they, uh, they've they just got way too much fraud, way too much abuse. In July, it was revealed that potentially thousands of people voted illegally by voting in the wrong county. Also, Fulton County was accused of double-scanning ballots, but Fulton insisted that these weren't counted in the certified election results. On August 18th, Georgia State Election Board appointed, appointed a panel to investigate past elections in Fulton County, taking a step toward possible, possibly completely taking over elections operations in that county. On October 13th, a state judge dismissed a lawsuit by Georgia voters and self-described election integrity activists who alleged that officials in Atlanta's Fulton County had counted fraudulent ballots in the November 2020 election. Henry County Superior Court Judge Brian Amaro in McDonough, just south, <clears throat> which is just southeast of Atlanta, who oversaw the case, ruled that the petitioners had failed to allege injuries that affected them in a, quote, personal and individual way, which left them no standing to bring the lawsuit. Now, this was really convenient because this lawsuit would separate it from, say, the Trump lawsuits, Lynn Woods lawsuit, Sidney Powell's lawsuit, the Amistad Project's lawsuit. It's, it's, not it's not brought by Trump supporters. It's brought by just individual citizens. One guy, the one guy who does this, he has spent the past 30 years just doing like government accountability stuff, like making sure that local governments are being accountable to voters. So there's no fraud. There's no corruption in government. And he's an independent. He's not a partisan voter. He's not a part. He doesn't indicate if he supports Republicans or Democrats. And this is just being brought by him and other people who are looking at the results of the 2020 election and they're saying something isn't right here. There's a whole bunch of votes, hundreds of thousands of votes that probably shouldn't have been counted because whether it's from address discrepancies, whether it's it looks like ballots have been scanned twice. And the if you look at the at the actual facts of this case, this case potentially had the potential to do the most damage. Um, this um, this let's see this so it alleged that 147,000 ballots were, fraud, uh, were fraudulent based on affidavits by four senior Fulton County poll managers who said they handled counterfeit ballots during the, limit, uh, the limited audit last November. Remember, that's the limited audit that went with the initial recount ordered by the state, not by Trump. And th these are four Fulton County poll managers who said they personally handled counterfeit ballots. There were also poll watchers who said that they saw mail-in ballots that hadn't been folded from being mailed. They were not marked with a writing instrument like a pen, but were instead marked by a machine and they had different paper stock. And they said they were marked the same way on all of the down ballot races. Digital images revealed recently revealed that almost 200 ballots were double counted. And this is hard proof. Like we've got circumstantial proof that there were 150 or so, 147,000 ballots that were fraudulent. Some of them double counted, but we have actual hard forensic proof that almost 200 ballots were double counted. Again, this is an obvious case of fraud by the poll workers in Fulton County. According to Raffensperger, and this is according to Raffensperger, so he's seen this. After numerous audits, he said there were 200 examples of fraud that people either voted out of state, there were dead people casting ballots, and some people who voted twice. But he says these fraud cases were not widespread. In early October, two Fulton County Board election workers were fired for shredding registration forms. 
it's not known how many they, they shredded, but according to Raffensperger, it was around 300. And of course, Raffensperger has a reason to keep these numbers below the 10,000 that Biden won by. Every time that there's a discrepancy, okay, we found that workers were shredding ballots. Oh, well, these he estimates, okay, there were probably 300, not enough to swing the election. Okay, we have forensic evidence of double-counted votes. Oh, it was just 200. That's not, not enough to swing the election. And this is, uh, this is a pattern with Raffensperger over and over again, where when he finds that there's fraud, he admits there's fraud, it's okay, what well, wasn't enough to swing the election, so we're not going to worry too much about it. That's what they always say. Another thing on Raffensperger is they did a, uh, a forensic audit in Cobb, in Cobb County, which is a suburban county of Atlanta that Biden won, and they found that there were only two instances of fraud out of – and they said, well, this is a 99.99% case of a pure election, but they did it in Cobb County. They didn't do it in Fulton County, which is very convenient. Now, this right here, this is the reason – this is the final nail in the coffin as far as I'm concerned in my opinion. This is why I think that Trump definitely won Georgia. Besides all of the fraud that we've seen, of course, remember when they did recounts, they would slowly chip away at Biden's lead. It went from like 14,500 all the way down to, to just above 10,000. Soon after the November election, Mark Davis, the president of Data Productions, Inc., and an expert in voter data analytics and residency issues, obtained data from the National Change of Address um, database that identified Georgia residents who had confirmed moves with the U.S. Postal Service. After excluding moves with effective dates within 30 days of the general election and by using data available from the Georgia Secretary of State's office, Mark Davis identified nearly 35,000 Georgia voters who indicated they had moved from one Georgia county to another, but then voted in the 2020 general election in the county from which they had moved. Some of those moves could have been temporary, involving students or members of the military, Davis stressed, adding that under Georgia law, temporary locations do not alter citizens' residency status or render their votes illegal. But given the margin separating the two presidential candidates, approximately one-third of the votes at issue could have altered the outcome of the election. Yet the media, the courts, and the Secretary of State's office ignored or downplayed the issue. He said, in fact, I heard members of the Secretary of State's team admit that some votes were cast with residency issues, but then claimed there weren't enough of them to cast the outcome of the election in doubt. That was not at all what I was seeing, and as far as I am aware, the Secretary of State's office has never put an actual number on the ones that they did see. When Davis ran the data, he found that of the approximately 35,000 Georgians who indicated they had moved from one county to another county more than 30 days before the November elections, as of May, more than 10,300 had updated their voter registration information, providing the Secretary of State the exact address they had previously provided to the USPS. Those, came, um, those same 10,000-plus individuals all also cast ballots in the county in which they had previously lived. So... You got 35,000 voters who it shows they did not live in the county that they voted in. So how do you prove that they, in fact, committed voter fraud? Well, you check their new residency status. Within the few months following the election, they applied. They updated their voter registration status to the county to which they moved, even though they voted in 2020 from their old address. And it showed that they moved to their new address more than 30 days before the 2020 election. So that's 10,300 people right there that we have essentially positive proof committed voter fraud whose votes should have been completely thrown out. He said, quote, that number continues to increase every day as more and more people update their registration. I have little doubt that the total number will eventually meet and then exceed President Biden's margin of victory in Georgia. Under Georgia law, a judge can order an election be redone if he or she sees there were enough illegal, irregular or improperly rejected votes to cast the results of the election in doubt or if they see evidence of systemic irregularities, Davis said. Quote, these issues were absolutely systemic. 
He's uh, he stressed, noting that they occurred in every county in the state, in every state house, state senate, and in every single congressional district in the state. Evans, the lawyer uh, previously mentioned, he has the distinction of being the only lawyer in Georgia to successfully overturn two elections. He said that under Georgia law, quote, an election should be overturned if either one, more votes than decided the election were illegal, wrongfully rejected, or irregular, or two, when there were systemic irregularities that cast the doubt, that cast that cast in doubt the results of the election. And in this case, Mark Davis's data fits both descriptions. And now the reason why Davis's data is significant is because critics of his data in Trump, the Trump lawyer's data, is that the NCOA, the, the national database, uh, that information is either unreliable or an insufficient magnitude to cast an outcome on of the election in doubt. But what Davis did is he took, he said, okay, I've got 35,000 people who voted from an address that they weren't living at. How many of these people have updated their address with the with Georgia, with the with the with the state of Georgia? And there were more than ten thousand who had. So, upon learning of this new development, the Georgia Secretary of State's office quietly opened an investigation into potentially illegal voting by residents who had moved between counties. Davis pr uh, provided his data to the office in May with a detailed explanation of his analysis. During an interview with the Federalist last month, Raffensperger expressed confusion over which investigation this was because he had just opened so many into the election he couldn't remember. Immediately following the interview with uh, both his, sec his press secretary, Walter Jones, and his deputy secretary of state, Jordan Fuchs, called back to the Federalist to follow up on any questions on the status of the investigation. Jones spoke favorably of Davis and suggested that Davis's um, uh, figure included false positives because Davis lacked access to Social Security numbers and birth, and birth dates of voters and that Davis's list likely included different individuals bearing the same name. Fuchs suggested a similar issue with Davis's analysis. Quote, there is no need to have access to Social Security numbers or birth dates, Davis said. Every voter has a unique eight-digit voter identification number, explaining that these voter identification numbers tied to the voters' names and addresses into vote history data, which documents when and where their votes are cast and comes from the Secretary of State's own data. Davis provided access to that data to the Federalists following the execution of a non-disclosure agreement, and Margaret Cleveland, the author of this, um, this article, claims that his, his data checks out. Davis told her, quote, I provided this exact same information to Francis Watson, the chief investigator for the Secretary of State. When asked for the status of Watson's investigation and other details, while both were receptive to questions, neither Jones nor Fuchs could provide definitive answers. She says, while Fuchs promised to give Watson permission to speak, uh, to speak with me, and while both the deputy uh, secretary of state and the press secretary promised to arrange an interview with Watson and to track down answers to several questions, to date, no further information has been provided and no interview has been arranged, notwithstanding several follow-up communications. She writes, hopefully that is because Watson is busy investigating the strong evidence of illegal voting and not because the Secretary of State's office is attempting to bury the story and the fact that Trump might have been right after all until after Raffensperger fights off a primary challenge. And of course, that's that's exactly what's happening. I mean, this is the this is the clearest evidence that we have had yet that Mark Davis has compiled that there were definitely over 10,000 people who voted from the wrong address. I mean, you can't get any more clear proof than that. They voted from an address they weren't listed as living at. They moved to that address, to that new address, more than 30 days before the election, and then they updated their voter information after the election was over with. And when confronted with this information, Raffensperger quietly opens an investigation. He lets his people speak to the media because they can't necessarily stonewall the media because then that would just raise more questions. So he's having his people politely talk to the Federalists. But then when there's follow-up questions, he just 
kind of sweep it under the rug. And I mean, we see what Raffensperger is doing. He's waiting until his primary challenge blows over. And then he'll probably come out and say, oh, yes, Donald Trump definitely won the election. We have we have irrefutable proof that there were more questionable votes or more illegal votes than the margin by which Biden won. In Georgia, it wasn't just about the presidential election. You had the two simultaneous elections for the U.S. Senate in Georgia, where incumbents David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler were allegedly defeated by Democratic challengers John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. And those elections, because they had the the rule in Georgia where if neither candidate gets to an absolute majority of 50 percent plus one, then it goes to a runoff between the top two candidates. And Purdue, the the incumbent senior senator, was initially ahead of the 50 percent margin. He was about to avoid a runoff and be reelected right then and there. But then as these more votes poured in that suddenly put Biden over the edge in Georgia, they also brought Purdue down below that threshold. And he had to face off against Ossoff, you know, that loser who ran in that special election in 2017 for the House and got crushed despite spending millions of dollars. And then the same thing with Kelly Loeffler. She failed to achieve a majority outright and was defeated by Warnock. And I am willing to concede, I think Loeffler probably did lose legitimately because she was an awful candidate. She what was, was appointed- the vote margin in that race, in that Senate race? Let me check. In Loeffler? Yeah, in the Loeffler-Warnock race. I believe it was bigger than the Ossoff campaign, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, let me confirm this. Because they both initially won the election. They just didn't get, get above 50%. Right. Okay, Loeffler. Okay, the initial – hang on. First round. That can't be right. Oh, the first round, allegedly Warnock did come in first in the first round. He got okay. 32.9% to Loeffler's. Because that's when oh, Loeffler – that's right. It was a three-way that, race. That's, that's when Loeffler was challenged by uh, Doug Collins. Yeah, 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 yeah that's, that's right. right. Yeah, so, okay, that's, that's, that's the reason. That again. Now, I'm willing to believe that Kelly Loeffler lost legitimately because she was a absolutely terrible candidate. She was appointed to the seat. She, I remember early on, she was one of the senators most prominently featured in the uh, the insider trading scandal. Mm-hmm. Like when they received a uh, private uh, confidential briefing as members of Congress that the COVID pandemic was about to hit and destroy the economy, she sold like a bunch of stocks that she owned mm-hmm. and made money off of that. And I said right then and there, okay, she's got to go. She should lose the primary. She is not qualified to be a senator. That is all you need, this rich woman who made money off of the suffering of Americans. And she was challenged by Congressman Doug Collins, who I think would have been a much better candidate. But in the initial first round, Collins got 20% to Loeffler's 26%. Warnock came in first with 32.9%. And then another Democrat, Deborah Jackson, came in fourth with 6.6%. So combine the vote totals of Loeffler and Collins, and that's about 46%. So there was more support for Republicans in the first round. Mm -hmm. But then in the second round, it was a clean 51-49 margin in favor of Warnock. And Warnock, especially as a black pastor in Georgia, like he's got all that enthusiasm behind him versus this rich woman who, again, profited millions off of the suffering. And she was already wealthy. She was already a wealthy businesswoman. She made even more money. Yeah, I forgot about Doug Collins. That that one would have gone to a runoff regardless of even if there was no fraud because just because it was a three-way race. So exactly. Gonna... And again, Lothar was a terrible candidate. Purdue, on the other hand, he initially was ahead of Ossoff in that First round, as we said, but then just barely brought down to 49.7% when all was said and done. And then in the final election, it was a little bit closer. Ossoff's 50.6 to Purdue's 49.4. And I'm willing to believe voter fraud played a role in that one. I think there was plenty of genuine support for Purdue, more so than Loeffler. But I mean, I think in the runoff, uh, so many Republicans just stayed home. They, 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 were just, dis- they just decided not to vote. I mean, they were disillusioned because they thought it was going to get stolen as well. Yeah, because- but in the, in the initial race, what was the vote separation between um, uh, for uh, Purdue? Between him and him, Ossoff? Him and Ossoff, yeah, in the, in the initial in – It initial. was about 90,000 votes. About 90,000 votes separated those two. Yeah, so um, – Which is far more than the margin that Biden allegedly won over Trump. Yeah, who was the third-party candidate in that in that one that, that peeled well, away the 0.7 percent? 
That's a good question. Or it was just a bunch of write-ins? Is that what they were claiming? It was the Libertarian... Oh, the third... Was there, oh, there was one third-party candidate in the first round. Libertarian nominee Shane Hazel, who got 115,000 votes. Okay, I mean, if you if you consider like you consider all these instances of illegal votes, I mean, I won't even call them fraud. A lot of it, I mean, yeah. Whenever you swipe a ballot twice, that's fraud. Whenever you count a person's vote, whenever they mail in after they already had a mail in ballot that both are counted, that's fraud. But in the instance of like even just the the sloppiness and the the people voting from an address they don't live at, if you take that out, I think that Purdue definitely gets over fifty percent in the initial race, and that race doesn't even go to a, to a runoff. That right there ends the battle for control of the Senate. Republicans have 51 seats right then and there, and it's it's done. So yeah. So if I'm if I'm Raffensperger, you better believe I'm keeping all this stuff under wrap. I'm not going to investigate the Mark Davis data at all because uh, especially facing a primary challenge. Yeah, any chance, any prayer that Raffensperger has of uh, winning that primary would be out the window if that were if he if he actually did his job and um, uncovered just how much uh, how sloppy the election was. But uh, that that wraps up the final state in this uh, this marathon uh, this marathon deep dive into the 2020 election to investigate potential fraud. So let's recap real quick the the final electoral vote totals of our varying conclusions of the states. So Jacob, just to reiterate, you believe Biden legitimately won the states of Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Arizona, correct? That is correct. Yes. And you consider Nevada a toss up. Yes. And you believe Trump legitimately won Wisconsin and Georgia, correct? Yes. And assuming we leave all other states being equal, including uh, Maine and Nebraska splitting their electoral votes, and each of those states had like a single delegate that went for Trump and Biden, respectively, that would put it at Biden with 274 electoral votes, Trump at 258, and six outstanding, which, uh, again, those at that point, Biden already is nearly ahead of the 270 margin. So according to you, you believe Trump ultimately still did legitimately lose the election. Yeah, as of the information that I have now, Biden is the legitimate president. That could change on the Pennsylvania audit or other things, but I don't, Pennsylvania I, would flip that immediately. Yeah, it would, but with the vote margin, I just don't see that happening. And um, so, yeah, as of now, Biden, I see Biden as uh, having narrowly won the election. All right. And by contrast, I believe, again, just to recap what I think, I think Arizona and Michigan are toss-ups. Michigan, I can maybe say lean Biden just because the margin there was so big, but Arizona, there was a lot of sketchiness going on. And I believe that I agree with you on on Wisconsin and Georgia that Trump won those legitimately. And I think he did legitimately win Nevada. Again, the testimony of up to 42,000 voters who voted twice and the margin by which Biden won was only about 39,000 and Pennsylvania. So I believe that Trump still ultimately did win the election. 284 electoral votes to Biden's 227 with, again, Michigan and Arizona as toss-ups. So I'm willing to admit at that point, it seems like Trump probably did narrowly lose electoral college votes compared to his 2016 performance. Because assuming those two toss-up states did go to Trump, then that would be a very narrow increase to 311 electoral votes. But either way, I, I do think Trump legitimately did win the presidency in 2020. He won re-election. He won four more years. And I think Biden is an illegitimate president. And I also do, and I think we can both firmly agree that uh, the Republicans legitimately did win the Senate. Yes, yes. The Republicans did, uh, should have legitimately won the Senate and uh, they should have a 51 to 49 uh, vote 51 majority. 51 49, right narrow majority. Yeah, potentially 52 48 if, if uh, John James in Michigan, might have that's won right. his, his Yeah, because that Michigan. was a narrower margin. That's a good point. Yeah. So Either way, there definitely was fraud in this election. That is a fact. The mainstream media will not tell you that. The fact of the matter is that voting fraud happened, and whether or not you believe it affected the presidency, it definitely affected down-ballot races. It affected control of the Senate. If we had a President Biden and a Democratic House with a Republican Senate, 
a lot of the damage that we're seeing right now could still have been avoided. Confirmation of judges, what have you. And I think the broader takeaway from this should be beyond the conventional stealing of an election. The, the typical mafia tactics, you know, wheelbarrows full of ballots and dead voters voting. That stuff happened. But I think that was calculated to be smaller, more scattered events that was not an organized conspiracy so that the broader theft of the election in the form of changing the rules unilaterally, changing the laws unconstitutionally, illegally, governors and secretaries of state and sometimes just county election officials declaring, okay, mail-in ballots are now allowed and votes can be counted a week after the election. The stuff that California legalized years ago but was not legal in any other states, ballot harvesting, all under the guise of COVID was done to give the Democrats an unfair advantage that would basically amount to stealing the election. Combine that with the the overwhelming conspiracy, this was basically confirmed, the effort by big tech companies and the mainstream media together to censor the story about Hunter Biden's laptop, censoring the New York Post, a story that would have been the 2020 equivalent of Hillary's private email server. It would have sank Joe Biden polls. We've talked about this. Polls show that Joe Biden voters who had no idea about the scandal never would have voted for him if they had known about it. As well as, of course, Mark Zuckerberg and other big left-wing big tech CEOs and billionaires donating hundreds of millions of dollars to get out the vote projects, which basically just means let's get Democrats mm -hmm. to turn out and vote and suppress Republican turnout. All of these things together, as documented in that Time Magazine article, the conspiracy to save the election, the, the plot to save the election. They weren't rigging it. They were fortifying it. <laughs> they admit to what they did. They know what they did. And they know that with the media and big tech and academia and Hollywood and the federal government and all the bureaucracies and the agencies and the international community and the globalist community all on their side, no one is going to hold them accountable for it. They can get away from it. As it's said in that line in the movie JFK, at the end of the day, the conspirators must not be held accountable for anything by anyone. That is a coup d'etat. And that is what we saw in the United States in 2020. We saw a nonviolent overthrow of the government. After these many, many hours of recording and putting it together for you guys, we're going to be releasing this state by state by state so that each one is compartmentalized. And again, all the show notes will be posted on our website, all the sources for everything we have talked about here. Thank you guys so much for sticking with us for this very special deep dive edition of The Right Take. We look forward to doing more deep dives in the future on other broader topics that require in-depth research like this one. And we hope you guys will continue to follow us into the coming next year. The Right Take is about to turn one year old and we are going to hit the year 2022. It will be another election year, a lot of decisive primary elections, Senate elections, governor's races, to be decided in 2022, and we will be here for that, as well as the latest breaking stories in culture, in sociopolitical issues, affecting the country on a daily basis. So as always, be sure to follow all of our latest content at our website, righttakepodcast.com. All of the platforms and social media sites where we are available and where you can find our podcast at righttakepodcast.com slash subscribe. And if you want to keep supporting the work that we do here, the deep dive investigative work that we do just for you guys, righttakepodcast.com slash support. We'll talk to you next week, guys.